0: As we, as we uh, make our way back to our seats, I do want to mention, uh, just a special shout out to those who might be new to the brook today. Um, we're really glad you're here with us. We're really glad you're here with us, visiting. We'd love for you to be pu- become a part of our family here. Um, there was a welcome card as you came into the building today, perhaps as you were passing the connections table or maybe in the chair in front of you. Please fill those out. We have a gift for you at the connections table as you exit. It's just a way for us to get to know you better, man, and we would love Love to be able to tell you more about our church family here, so would love that. Let me open up in prayer as we get ready to dive in God's word this morning. Father, God, we come before you, Lord, and um, we are thankful for the gift of song, even though some of us can't sing very well, but we know, Lord, that you, you love it. It's a joyful noise into your ear, God, and we lift it up. I thank you, God, for the, the giftedness you've given people in this church family, who could sing, who could play, who could uh, work on sound, who could teach the brook kids, who can serve as, as greeters with hospitality, as ushers, prayer team security. God, we're just thankful, God, for uh, your, your bride and um, the way that the church uses their gifts, God, to serve you. And Oh, God, we just come, Lord, this morning. We want to hear from you, God. and uh, We want to we uh, know you better, God. For those who are here today searching out the faith, trying to understand Christianity more. I pray, to the Lord, that today that uh, the ball be put further down the field for them and they could understand it and be closer, God, to knowing you. I pray that today perhaps even they would put their faith in Jesus. God, I pray that for all of us, that our eyes would have the scales removed so we can see you and your beauty and your perfections. God, I pray that our ears would be unclogged and we can hear the sound of your voice, God. As your word is proclaimed. God, I pray that your spirit would speak through me and that your same spirit would open each of our hearts to receive from you. We bless you, God, and we thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, good morning, church. Uh, I'm excited to open up God's word and begin a new message series with you all called Doctrine that Dances. Now I gotta admit, I'm not much of a dancer. I'm a good pretender, though, I think. I'm a good pretender in a large crowd where people can't see my feet. You know, if you get those shoulders moving a little bit, you can, you, can, you can pass for anything. What I do enjoy, though, is seeing someone who knows how to dance do their thing. You know what I mean? Like, like someone who legitimately knows how to pull off a dance move. In particular, I love watching people, a couple know how to dance salsa. Like the old school style, you know? Where there's etiquette, where there's, there's just, there's just it's smooth, you know. And usually the people who are doing that are super old, which makes it all the more enjoyable. You know what I'm saying? They, they've got this rhythm about them. They've got this ability to just kind of just move. And so one day recently, I was talking to a guy who's a salsa who actually instructs people on dancing. And, and I was just asking him about the art of dancing a little bit. And, and he gave me a few pointers and mentioned a few things that I've heard others say. They say when it comes to dancing, you've got to know the technique. You've got to know what style you're dancing to. If you're trying to dance, to you're going to look kind of funny, right? Uh, and if, I've tried it. And uh, if you try to dance the wrong style to the wrong rhythm, it's going to throw you. So you've got you to know the technique. And then without fail, they say you've got to practice. You've got to practice over and over and over and over again. And then the third thing I often hear is perhaps the most intangible, and it's like you've got to feel the music. I'm like, how, how do you feel music? It's like, I can't grab it. And this, this, is a, this is a struggle for me, y'all. All right, rhythm was not given to me when I was born. And so I, I, I see people dancing. I'm like, how do you move like that? And it's like, you just got to feel the music. You know the technique. You got to practice, and you just do it. So I'm like, all right. I try that out. It doesn't always work for me, all right? But one thing is true. You can tell when someone's feeling the music. When They're just, they're just vibing along. It's smooth. When I think about dancing, there's some beautiful interchange with theology and our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you're like, okay, where is this going, all right? We, we titled this Doctrine that Dances. It's taken from a, a book by a, a preacher named Robert Smith, Jr., and he talked about preaching is kind of like Doctrine that Dances, and as I was thinking about the book of Romans, which we're going to be studying here at the brook, I think about how when we take the techniques of studying God's word when we begin to practice the study of his word and begin to dive into the riches of who God is, we see that we begin to sense and hear God's rhythm, if you will, and God puts us on the move, church. I don't think y'all are hearing me this morning. When we come to know God more intimately, when we dive into the truth of his word, it does something to us. It begins to move. God begins to move in us and causes us to be catapulted from our comfort zones to live for him. It is the kind of doctrine that makes us dance. It's the kind of truth that puts us in rhythm with what God is actually doing in the world. We want to be a church that dances, y'all. We want to be a church that knows God's word and it puts us on the move theology or doctrine shouldn't be boring i had a professor in bible college and a preaching professor said they're boring sermons because there's boring preachers but not because the Bible's boring i'm gonna try my best to not be a boring preacher because i want you to see that doctrine that theology is actually quite beautiful theology it's what the bible teaches about god and his dealings with humanity and creation that's theology It's it's about who God is and what he does. Therefore, it's not static. It's actually quite dynamic. It's not dull, but it's proactive. It moves us. When we talk about theology, it should get us to the edge of our seats. And when we think of doctrine in the Bible or theology, I'll use those terms interchangeably, the book of Romans is ground zero for theology. Now, that's not to say, I, I, and let me put it this way, every book in the Bible teaches theology. Every passage in the Bible, understood in its rightful context, teaches us something about God. When you read the book of Psalms, and you hear the psalmist explain his suffering, that teaches us something about God because usually he makes a beeline for the character of God saying, but God, you remain the same. When we read the narratives of Scripture... Then we see something like David and Goliath, like, that's just a story. No, it's not just a story. Because if we've seen before, in David and Goliath's narrative, we see that David is someone who's passionate for the glory of God, and he's angered at the fact that this giant Goliath would mock God's armies, therefore mocking God himself. That's theology, y'all. When we come to any passage in the Bible, we see theology. But there are some books in the Bible, like Romans, that teach us theology in a more reasoned, logical, methodical, and systematic way. That's what Romans does for us. The book of Romans is the kind of book where you study it, and you realize that the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. What I love was talking with people who are doing their craft, whether you're an electrician, a nurse, an educator... And if you're new to this art, you step in and you're like, oh, electricians, they just put wires together, right? Not that simple. I've talked to some of our brothers here who've gone through very rigorous training and tests. You realize this is really quite complicated. So the more I've gotten to know, the more I realize, man, I don't know. I, I don't have a clue. The book of Romans is like that because God is like that. The more you know about God, the more you realize you don't know much about God. He is an ocean whose depths you will never plummet. You can get scuba gear for days, but you will never see God in his totality. This is why heaven is a beautiful experience, because we'll come to see God, but we won't ever truly know him perfectly because he is indescribable and infinite. But the book of Romans gives us a glimpse into more of who God is and what he does for people someone once says that the book of romans is the greatest letter ever written now you might be saying letter or book which one is it well the truth is most of the books of the new testament were actually letters written to a community of people we call it the book of romans because it was written to the people who live in the city of Here we go it's actually Paul sitting down with his scribe, a person who was writing down what he was dictating to this person, and Paul said, "Hey, tell him this. Write this." And this person's writing it out, and what ends up being is 16 chapters of a personal letter penned to the people in Rome. It is the greatest letter ever written, said some, and I think that's a that's a quite a that's quite a thing to say, and I think is accurate. Martin Luther, that great Protestant German reformer, said this about the book of Romans. He says, we should, every Christian should know it word for word. How about that challenge? We should occupy ourselves with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Consider this about the book of Romans. In the year 386 A.D., there was an African leader, an African man at the time, not yet a leader, who was consumed with the fact that he could not get over his own sin. He was highly discouraged because he was trying to live a moral life, but he liked women. And he loved to sleep with women. And this was a kind of addiction for him. And in fact, he had to live-in mistress with him whom he had a child with and he realized that i know this is not the way for me to live my life however i don't have the power to break this from me and he became so discouraged by his battle with his own lust that one day he was talking to a friend of his and they had heard of a guy named anthony who was a follower of jesus and he began to talk amongst themselves about the christian faith and they're like man But we long for this. And finally, this man, whose name is Augustine, began to just weep in a garden, just discouraged by his own sin. When he heard little children singing this phrase in Latin, they said, Tole lege. Tole lege. Which means, take up and read. Take up and read. And he pondered it himself in his book called The Confessions. He says, I never heard a song sung by kids like this. So I perceived in myself it was a message that I needed to pick up the book and read. He picks up the book, his Bible, opens it to the middle, finds himself in Romans chapter 14 where God's word says this. Romans chapter 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Augustine says, No further would I read, nor had I any need. Instantly at the end of this sentence, a clear light flooded my heart and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. At that moment, this man was converted to his faith in Jesus, and he's now known in history as St. Augustine of Hippo, the North African leader. One statement in the book of Romans transformed his life. I think some of us here today need some life transformation, don't we? Some of us may be like Augustine and like, man, I know about that kind of bondage. I know about other kinds of bondages. I know about my frustrations with my own life. God, I, I, I need something in me. I need you to do a work. And here God's like, hey, I got the solution. It's in my word. Pick it up. Take it and read. It's the book of Romans that tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's the book of Romans that says that, that, that uh, God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the book of Romans that says, In Christ, we are more than conquerors. It is Romans that says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's Romans that says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus. It's Romans that tells us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's Romans that says, if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we are the Lord, says Romans 14. This is what the book of Romans tells us. So we're going to dive in. We're going to dig. And you're going to feel a little bit like that old toy Stretch Armstrong as we're doing this. You're going to find yourself stretched in different ways intellectually. You're going to find yourself stretched emotionally. You're going to find yourself stretched in your practice, in your life. But nonetheless, we're going to find ourselves anchored as we do so. Because when we are in God's word, we have the sure guide for life. The book of Romans was written by Paul to the city of Rome for a number of different reasons. One's to unify the church. Now, I know I'm I'm talking a lot before we get into text, but I got got to set this up. We find in the book of Acts that when Emperor Claudius, who oversaw Rome at the time, had an issue with the Christians, he expelled the Jews from the city of Rome. In fact, the Apostle Paul meets a couple, uh, a woman named Priscilla and her husband Aquila, because they were kicked out of Rome. The Jews were kicked out. And in that vacuum... These Jewish people left the city of Rome. There were other Christians who filled it up. There were Gentile Christians, non-Jewish people. And they began to worship Jesus. Well, what happens after that uh, that removal was lifted, the Jews entered back into the city. And now they have some very different cultures coming together here trying to live out this faith. And when cultures come come together, there's some dynamite, isn't there? We all do things differently. I mean, that's why, honestly, I love looking around this room and seeing the diversity in this place. We, we, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Which, by the way, the best part of it is the potlucks, right? I mean, I talk about the food. But we know we come with cultural assumptions. We come with cultural backgrounds. We come with language, style, fashion, dreams, talk. I mean, everything is different so when that comes together, Paul said, hey, let me, let me instruct you all how God's word unifies us, how the gospel unifies us. But one thing we often don't know about Romans, it's actually a letter written also to raise financial support. Because one thing we find about Paul is he's a missionary. Missionaries are broke. And they need people to come alongside and support them. If we come to Romans 15, Paul tells them this. He says, hey, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, and I have an offering with me that I raised from the churches in Asia. And I'm taking it to Jerusalem to come to the aid of the Christians in Jerusalem because there's a famine in the land. So the church is supporting the church with food and money and resources. It's beautiful. And Paul's like, but after I leave there, I'm coming to Rome. But I'm coming to you guys because I'm trying to get to Spain. But I need some money to get to Spain. So basically what he's saying is, when I come to Rome, I need you all to take up a collection to, to fund the work because i got to get to Spain. And some of you might be wondering, like, why not just stay in Rome? It, it's the capital of the, the entire Roman Empire. Well, because Paul's like, look, my ambition is to preach Jesus where no one's ever been. And there's a church in Rome, praise the Lord, but that means I ain't supposed to be there. i got to go to Spain where there is no church. And so the book of Romans, in many ways, is also a support letter. The big idea of Romans is in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Basically, Paul's like this. Look, look, it says there, and you're not there yet, so I'll get you there in a moment. It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. That is the big idea of the book of Romans. So today, we're going to jump in in Romans chapter 1. It's a long book. I know someone who took seven years to preach through it. I'm not doing that, y'all. <laughs> but we will take our time. And we won't finish it this year. We'll, we'll, we'll pause along the way. But what I want us to do is sink our teeth deeply in God's word and understand who our God is. And watch him put us on the move. So if you can, would you please meet me in the book of Romans chapter 1. How about that for an intro? That's page 939 in your Bibles, in your blue Bibles, in the chairs in front of you that you can have if you don't own a Bible. And would you please stand with me as I read Romans 1, verses 1 through 7. This is going to be fun. Romans 1, verse 1 says this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Can you say obedience of faith? Obedience of faith faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saints? Grace to you and peace, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Amen, you may be seated. Now, if you're an astute thank you, if you're an astute listener, you may have noticed there, verses one through seven, how many periods do you see in your Bible? You find one at the very end of verse 7. For all you grammar teachers, this would be a run-on sentence of run-on sentences. The Apostle Paul loved to do this in the opening of his letters. It's a way for him to heap preposition upon preposition upon statement upon subject upon verb I mean, over and over and over to draw home a point. Now in letters, they open up with a normal greeting. You write a letter that says, dear so-and-so, that's how we do it. Or you might say, dear so-and-so, I hope you're doing well. I'm writing to tell you da da da." Well, this is what Paul's doing, but his I hope you're doing well is seven verses long. And it's actually very difficult to decipher what he's saying. You read it through, and first it seems like, okay, these are all these kind of cool ideas. Maybe a little bit fluff. Let's move on and get to the content of the letter. But what I'm going to do is press slow motion here for a moment. I love watching football. And when you see a great play happen, I love when they put it in slow motion so you can see all the moving parts that are taking place. You know what I mean? You watch someone who's blocking that linebacker. You see this receiver who makes a great move down the field, the quarterback who's getting his protection and gets that ball downfield. You know what I'm saying? When you see it in slow motion, you see it differently than when you saw it in regular speed. So we're going to look at this in slow motion. And what we're going to see here in the opening verse is what Paul is doing is basically saying, hey, let me introduce myself to you. Let me tell you about who I am. Because the truth of the matter is Paul had not been to Rome yet. He didn't know these people. He knew a few of them that he met along his journeys in other cities, but he didn't know the church in Rome. So here he's writing this highly theological letter to people he's never met. That's pretty wild. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. As we slow down, we notice Paul, he uh, introduces himself by a very fascinating word. What does he call himself to them? He says, I'm a servant. The word in Greek is doulos, which can be literally translated slave. He's like, I'm a servant. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. He says, this is my identity, now, as a follower of Jesus, Paul is acknowledging that to follow Jesus is actually his ambition in life. He has submitted himself to Jesus. There is no reservation when it comes to his faith with Jesus. He's like, my chips are all in. I'm with you, Jesus. I am his servant. And that's how he identifies himself. Not only am I a servant of Christ Jesus, but I'm also called to be an apostle. You see, this word apostle could be understood in two different ways. One is when you have a capital A apostle, that's more of a title that was given to the, to the original 12 who saw the resurrected Jesus and Paul himself. Those kind of apostles don't exist anymore in the way they did, it, they did in the first century. But the word apostle also comes from a word that means sent one. And then, therefore, an apostle, someone who's been called to be an apostle in our days, one who's been sent to bear the gospel in places where the gospel is not, much like a missionary or a church planter. Paul's like, that's what I am. I'm a servant, and I've been called as an apostle. And also, I've been set apart, he says, for the gospel of God. God has put me aside for a unique purpose, the way he's put all of us aside for a purpose. And that purpose is for the gospel. This is what Paul is living for. Um, What's important for us to understand here is we start off this letter, and what all of us need to recognize is the way we identify ourselves, even internally or with others, says a lot about the way we order our lives. When it comes down to it, who are you? When it comes down to it, what are you? What do you hang your hat on? Which title of yours is most significant in your life? Is it teacher, doctor, pastor, mom, dad, friend, spouse, or servant? Follower of Jesus. Paul had a lot of titles. He could have said a lot of different things, but right out of the gate, he's like, look, first and foremost, I'm a servant of Jesus, and that, therefore, is how I order my life. We live in a world where we are told to order our lives around us. I mean, that's what we're communicated everywhere we go. And yet we, as followers of Jesus, cannot let ourselves begin to be identified by what people say we should be identified with. We've got to let God's word and our relationship with Jesus determine who we are. Yeah. So often we go through pain to stand out for acceptance, which, look, there's some things that we do that's great. But at the end of the day, are you following Jesus first and foremost? People don't exist to serve your needs. God does not exist to serve your needs. You are a servant. God controls the narrative. You embrace Jesus. We don't bargain with him. We don't rationalize our disobedience. We come surrendered and humbled and say, Jesus, I am your servant. I've been set aside. I'm all yours. Have your way. Right when Paul starts out his letter, he's like, hey, make no mistake. Let me tell you about myself. This is who I am. But then he says, I've been set apart for the gospel of God. And then this sentence continues on. And he says, which he promised beforehand. So now he's going to talk about what the gospel is, what this gospel is. I've mentioned it a few times already, and some of you might have had ideas of what this is like. But let, let me break this down for you according to what God is showing us here in the Word. You remember those Chicago Tribune ads, the love is comics, and how each statement tells you a little more about what love is supposed to be? Well, this here in the next few verses is a gospel is kind of statement. The gospel is what? Well, Paul says the gospel is promised beforehand by God. You see, what he's saying is when we look at the Old Testament of the Bible, the coming of Jesus has been predicted from the opening pages. If we had time, which we don't, I'd take you to Genesis chapter 3, the third chapter in the Bible, verse 15, after Adam and Eve fall into sin. God issues this promise to Eve in verse, for, verse 15, and he tells her and tells the serpent that one will come from this woman who will crush your head, and you will merely crush his heel. That promise, that seed of promise is interwoven from Genesis all the way till Jesus comes on the scene in the book of Matthew because it was promised by God. What Paul's about to say, he's like, look, this gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the good news that he came on this earth to save sinful people from their sins, and that all who put their faith in him will receive forgiveness and eternal life. The gospel is promised. It is a fulfillment of God's promise. The gospel also is, in verse 2, rooted in the scriptures. It was promised through his prophets in the holy scriptures. See, the Bible teaches us about God. That's where we find our theology. Look, church, you cannot go elsewhere to learn about God the way you can in the Bible. In fact, outside of the Bible is a quite dangerous place because there are all kinds of worldviews. There are all kinds of deceptive teachings. Look, in our culture, the gospel is actually becoming popular, if you've noticed, If you listen to hip-hop, you notice there are more and more artists who are leveraging Christian lingo and applying it to their own experience. This is happening in Hollywood. It's happening in politics. People are actually quoting Bible verses. We have the responsibility to discern what is truth, and we cannot get truth from those artists. Now, they may have some truth in there, but that's not our source because that is not the authority of God. But notice this, if we're not living by the word, where is the authority coming from? Church, what Paul is basically saying is you need to know the gospel, and in order to know the gospel and know the God of the gospel, you need to become biblically literate. There is a biblical illiteracy in the United States when it comes to the church. And church family, we cannot let ourselves fall into that. We need to take up what God tells Joshua that this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night and be careful to do according to all that is written in it. The gospel is the fulfillment of God's promises. The gospel is rooted in the scriptures. But most importantly, the gospel is Jesus-centered. Paul's like, I've been set apart for the gospel which was promised beforehand through the prophets in the scriptures concerning who? God's son in verse three. That's Jesus. He was descended from David according to the flesh. So what Paul's basically saying, like, look, his human lineage is he is an ancestor of King David. But that's not all he is. Because if that's all he is, he cannot pay for our sins. But he not only has a, human lineage but he's also got some divine dna look what he says in verse 4 and he was declared to be the son of god in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead jesus christ our lord now you need to understand paul's not saying that jesus became the son of god when he rose from the dead because if you notice he says he was declared to be the son of god when he rose from the dead What Paul is saying is like, look, we know Jesus was born of a woman, born of Mary, from the heritage of David, but you also need to understand that his claims to be God, which Jesus did claim to be, were then verified and validated by his victory over death. Jesus doesn't raise from the dead. Jesus is not God. And so what Paul is saying here, though, That when he rose from the dead, it was therefore a declaration that he was who he said he was. This is therefore a public service announcement that Paul is making here. The resurrection was a public service announcement. You remember this, perhaps some of you. McGruff the crime fighter? Smokey the bear? These were public service announcements on television that were to raise awareness about a particular issue. They were to let people know something that was taking place to make sure they understood what was happening and then live their lives accordingly. Sergeant McGruff told us to, when we see something, speak up. Smokey said, don't throw your cigarettes outside the car window. What does the resurrection say? The resurrection is God's public service announcement about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. This is no casual announcement, family. It is history altering announcement. It is a salvation achieving announcement, his resurrection. It is a humanity purchasing announcement. It is a sin defacing announcement. I don't know if you guys are hearing me. It is a Satan defeating announcement, a death defying announcement. It is a faith invigorating announcement. It is a heaven. Opening announcement for people like you and me. You think this is wild? You think this is wild? It gets wilder because God, in a fury, knocked out our greatest foe. Some of you boxing people might know what I'm talking about. Sin and death had a lock on us, but Jesus' resurrection defeated it. TKO. The gospel is... Jesus-centered. Paul tells us that by his resurrection, he was declared to be the Son of God. Paul goes on to say in verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. See, the gospel is Jesus-centered, but it also gets us moving if you notice, Paul says here in verse 5 that he has received grace and apostleship. Remember, apostle means to be sent. I received grace from God, and I was sent by God. For what purpose? He says, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. But Paul is saying is, because Jesus saved me by the power of the gospel, he therefore also catapulted me to go bring this gospel to all the nations. That, that's what the gospel does. You cannot be stationary When it's moving, God pushes us forward. And he brings a message that is an obedience of faith. Paul's like, look, when I preach the gospel, when God uses all of us, church family, to share the good news, it is God making a summons to somebody. And at that point, we have an opportunity to reject God's summons or to receive it. When you get that letter in the mail for jury duty and you're being summoned, Y'all got to respond to that. You will get in trouble if you don't. You will get in greater trouble if you don't respond to God's summons. This is truth. What God has done is provided a way for us to have a relationship with him through Jesus. And if we reject him, we don't have a relationship with God. And therefore, eternal separation from God is our destiny after this life. We become objects of God's wrath. We become those who are punished for eternity because we rejected his public service announcement. The gospel ought to move us then, church, to get that word out to people. And the gospel ought to move you, if you've yet to believe, to say, hey, today I'm going to trust in Jesus and believe he died on the cross for my sins. Got to land the plane here, y'all. The gospel is God's message that saves us. But as we saw at the opening of the letter, the gospel is also what gave Paul his calling, a servant, an apostle, one who's set apart. And what Paul does here in verse 7, as he greets the church of Rome, he includes them in the number. He says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God, and called to be saints. Well, how does he know that they're loved by God if he's never met them? I mean, how does he know that they're called to be saints if he's never seen them? A saint is somebody who stands in right standing with God. If you are a Christian today, you're a saint. You may not feel very saintly. The things you've done may not be very saintly. What the Bible teaches and what Romans teaches us and what God teaches us is that when we believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, his righteousness was declared unto us and our sin was declared unto him. And so when our Heavenly Father sees us, he sees the righteousness of his Son. He sees his perfection upon us. And he says, you are saints. You are holy ones. (laughs) Praise the Lord. So how does Paul know that they are loved by God and saints? Although he doesn't know them, he knows the God who knows them. Church family, as we dive into theology and the beauties of this gospel, church, I I pray that we would begin to just marvel in what God has done. That, That our minds and our hearts would be engaged in such a way and we're like, man, I can't, I can't be still. I got to get moving. I, I got to live for Jesus. I got to tell people about Jesus. I got to study the word more so I can know my God better. I got to get my scuba gear on because I've been doing too much snorkeling lately at the surface. God, I, I need to know you more. And so what Paul does here, he's saying, hey, church, just like I am a servant and called so also are you. And just as I am a bearer of the gospel, so also are you. And so church, let's receive that call and let this doctrine get us dancing as we follow our Savior, Jesus Christ. I can't close this sermon without making an invitation to those here maybe today who have never put their faith in Jesus. I want you all to hear this. What we teach here is because Jesus has changed us. He has saved me from my sins. And there are dozens of others in this room who would say yes and amen to that. If you are here today and you've yet to put your faith in Jesus, you've yet to turn from your sin, I want you to know that this summons is here and God's declaring, He's calling you saying, Hey, come to me today. In a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to have a prayer team forward here, uh, the right and left of me. And we just come up to one of them saying, Hey, God has convicted me of my sin. I know I fail him. But like St. Augustine, he said, take up and read. I'm hearing this. I need Jesus. I need to put my faith in him. I need to turn from my sin. Would you you come with the prayer team and pray with them? You can even do that in your chairs, all by yourself. You just say, God, forgive me for my sins. I turn from my sin. I have put my faith in Jesus who died for me and rose for me. I want to be your follower. When you do that, you will be adopted in God's family. You will receive forgiveness and the hope, the sure hope of eternal life. Let's pray together. God, I have seen you use uh, your word in general, and Romans in particular, to shape me. God, I know that uh, when I've dug into it, You have formed me. I've gotten to know you. And Lord, I pray that you would do the same for all of us. God, if we begun to drift away from you, I pray that we would re-anchor ourselves with you. God, um, I pray that we would come to love the gospel for all of its beauty. We come to love Jesus for all he's done for us. We come to love the Holy Spirit who's brought us conviction, faith, regeneration, a new life, who sealed us for the day of eternity. God, I pray that we would just give you all of who we are. Get us moving, Lord. I pray pray that we can't stay still. I lift this all before you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll rise to our feet. Prayer team, make yourself available. And let's close with this final song. God, we come before you, Lord, and as we exit today. Guide our steps and guard our hearts. God, get us on the move wherever we go be it at school, at work, or in the home, or on the block. Use us, God, for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before you're dismissed, um, a couple of just quick things. We do have refreshments downstairs. We'd love for you all to please head on down there. Uh, If you're new with us today, we'd love to have that welcome card and uh, give you that gift out at the connections table. And lastly, worship team, we do have a a meeting uh, right after service, about 10 minutes from now, here at the front of the stage, all right? Isaiah 12.2 says this, and this is God's blessing. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. God bless you, church family. You are dismissed. We'll see you all downstairs.